The Justin Shapiro Show is sponsored by ESPN.com. ESPN.com is bringing the worldwide leader to the World Wide Web is the official website of the ESPN channel. It is loaded with features for true sports nuts like news, scores, game recaps, stats, team rosters, and player weights. You can use the offer code SHAPS to go to ESPN.com right now for up-to-the-minute comprehensive coverage of Wimbledon. Wimbledon follows the plight of aspiring tennis star Peter Colt, played by Paul Bettany, whose bad luck seems to manifest itself just about everywhere. Professionally, Peter is near the very bottom of the world tennis ranks, and personally, he can't find love despite his best efforts to do so. In a rare turn of events, however, Peter is chosen as a wild card to play at Wimbledon, the tennis world's most prestigious competition. While there, he meets American tennis hotshot Lizzie Bradbury, played by Kirsten Dunst, and his confidence on the court and off improves tenfold as he falls further and further in love with her. Lizzie is a rising star who lives to win, but when she falls for a long-shot contender like Peter amid the glitz and glamour of Wimbledon, Lizzie discovers it's not if you win or lose, but how you play the game. The game of love. ESPN.com. It's da-da-da. family member of mine or someone who went to high school then do not download or you download it and now you're listening to it stop listening to it you don't want to see this side of me and i don't want to ever have to deal with this with you and believe me neither do you so just please don't so joining me justin shapiro on what if, if i've ever cop to it being a Justin Shapiro show. That's not what it's called. I've never really agreed to that title, but that's what it is in all of the uh, the iTunes tags. So, um, my guest at this time, Andy Napier. How are you? I'm really good. I'm uh, I'm so excited to be on the uh, not Justin Shapiro show. Is your um, IPDB uh, internet podcast database is your only credit here before this one when you're on the voices of the wrestling defending Steve. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. I, I, yeah. If, if anyone's ever heard me on anything, it would be on uh wrestling culture podcast, unsuccessfully arguing for sting to be in the wrestling Observer hall of fame. Uh, that was a fun episode to do, even though I feel I lost the debate. <laughs> Did not Sting get signed by WWE and put in a prominent position almost immediately relative to all time that's ever happened after you did that podcast? I mean, I think I personally facilitated that, but yeah. Maybe I won the debate then. All right, good. Excellent. So thank you for your service. And um, let me apologize straight away if you, to the listeners and you, Andy, got the wrong impression of the last show that ended on a cliffhanger. <laughs> This is not the resumption of that cliffhanger. I'm jumping ship to another company. (laughs) 
that's exactly it. See, it's those kind of surprises. It was like people were expecting that show to continue, and then we brought in this hot new talent instead, doing some sort of invasion angle. But what I would say to those listeners, because sometimes people will reply in a thread about a, when a show is posted and say, well, this is one thing that I acknowledge existed, but I was really hoping it would be something else, and if can I will that into existence right now, retroactively, and quite often they can't so i'm very sorry i would say think of the characters on that last show as um just ongoing subplots and this is a show with a lot of uh, characters to manage and we we will get back to those subplots more importantly though is the breaking news that andy just went to the recent pay-per-view no not the one that was this weekend but the one slightly before that of money in the bank in chicago columbus yes and uh which is where you live. Of course, my show has a long-standing policy that if you attend a WWE live event, you don't even have to be in the military. If you cut out the barcode off your ticket and mail it to me, I will tape a podcast with you. And Andy, you're, it came right through the mail. I checked it. I ran the whatever the uh, number is, the UMB or whatever, the National Registry of Barcodes, and you're in. So thank you so much for your reportage. I'm really glad I saved that. So... A, I apologize to you for not getting your story from Money in the Bank out there, and that's compounded by the fact that there are so many podcasts, I think, that people listen to them later than when they happen. So what started for you and me as a 4th of July uh, barbecue kind of show, if you could now presume we're doing kind of a Labor Day barbecue instead, because that's probably when people will be uh, listening to this. So if you could just tinge your commentary with like the beginning of autumn and maybe looking ahead to what you're going to wear for Halloween and the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view, I'd appreciate that. I'm no short notice for you. Okay. So people will be playing this in September as the beginning of uh, probably the leaves change colors and kids back to school. Damn. And uh, still both of the things I thought of right away. Oh, no. <laughs> so what? Um, so that and of course nine eleven is yeah. something we should not be looking forward to. Exciting um, new slate of CBS sitcoms. Ooh, premieres. Mom keeps coming back. I don't know. Huh? Yours or the TV show? <laughs> Both. <laughs> um, and I need to really go get a new hooded sweatshirt because it's starting to get temperatures are a little bad. Absolutely. So. Yeah. I hope people are looking forward to Night of Champions. That's exactly it. Yes. And then Night of Champions should set up a random Hell in a Cell match mm-hmm. between. Uh, okay, who's it going to be? Who's, who's Hell in a Cell this year? Let's see. Uh, huh. Now that's a good question because I don't know what SummerSlam is. <laughs> um, no, we do. It already happened. Oh, that's right. Now SummerSlam, which was um, the biggest party of the summer, mm-hmm. and uh, Seth Rollins, for him to come out and say that he didn't want to defend the title, and then he <laughs> and the authority at first he act. He seemed to think that they were not going to let him. And then they actually gave the impression that they weren't going to make him do it. But then they had an about face, and they were very mean to him for some reason, which is very surprising to me. And then all of a sudden they said, you got to defend that title on pay-per-view, and it's going to be in a hell in a cell. And he was like, what? Kicking dirt on the ground and things like this. So, yeah, they want him to keep the belt, and yet to be mean to him, they were like... And the number one contender is 
Uh, Ryback. Oh my god. Hell in a cell. <laughs> Veteran Ryback, <laughs> who challenged for the title once before, and then Seth was like, no. Oh, I'm so mad, but I'm gonna win. You guys are gonna help me, right? And they're like, no. And then eventually they're like, yes. And right before the show, they're like, but maybe we won't. And then the announcers are like, what's going to happen? So that's where we're pretty much at on Labor Day, uh, looking ahead to Night of Champions and then the Hell in a Cell coming after that. I can't believe they've kept that authority dynamic so fresh throughout the whole summer and <laughs> into the fall. And Did you hear that the Hell in a Cell killed Ryback's drawing power? I heard that one time. <laughs> well, we're going to put it to the test again with this... Uh, New challenge, Ryback winning a number one contenders match uh, at Night of Champions, we're projecting, and then challenging for the title in the Hell in a Cell, um, because it's a Hell in a Cell show. So I'm looking at the uh, clip art that I've designed for the show, and it says, feed me the architect. It says, feed me plan B, and things like that. So they appear to be playing off uh, both those guys. So I've buried the lead for two weeks and then 20 minutes of showtime. So please... The, the table for all of this was set at Hell in a Cell in Columbus, Ohio. Mm-hmm. No, not Hell in a Cell. Money in the bank. You know, the funny thing about that show is, too, is that I ended up, I did end up buying a ticket for that show. Um, and, like, they announced the date and they announced the city. And it's like, oh, cool, that's going to be, that's my city. That's, that's, <laughs> that's my local arena where sports uh, teams play sports. And I, I think it's the Blue Jackets, actually, which is your, which is your kind of... Uh, uh, oeuvre. CBJ. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I went to a game once. It was fun. And that cannon. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, it was pretty exciting. It was like, oh, it hadn't been a pay per view here in like like 11 years, I think. I think it was Hell in a Cell with Shawn Michaels and Triple H um, was the last one. And somebody fact checked me on that. But according to a, I have a fan edited online encyclopedia is they have changed it to say, yes, it was the first pay-per-view since 2004's bad blood. Right. Right. Which I, you know, it's, a, I, I missed that pay-per-view. I was at a wedding in uh, Sacramento and that couple got divorced shortly thereafter. And I feel like I just wasted my time. Well, on those lines, let me tear up half my questions, which were, <laughs> About 2004 is bad blood, so the length of the show and the size of the file have just halved, which is great news for a Cubs fan band. Absolutely, but um, please continue though. Yes. No, so like, so this show got announced, the, the Money in the Bank, and I was pretty, I was like excited. That's usually a pretty can't miss pay per view. It has been historically, and then they announced there was going to be an NXT house show the night before. And I quickly was way more excited about that because we had, my friends and I had gone to the one back in March and or February, whenever the heck it was, and uh, had such a great time. And I really, as much as I was like, yeah, Money in the Bank, that'll be great, I wasn't super feeling the, the raw leading up to it, certainly. Mm-hmm. So we were kind of like, let's just get NXT tickets instead. And then NXT sold out in like 20 seconds. So... Was, I felt kind of stuck, but I did end up buying a ticket and going to Money in the Bank. And you should have held your head high going in. You were mistaken, but you should have been optimistic because, as you said, that track record of that may be even better than WrestleMania since the Money in the Bank uh, pay-per-view started. The Money in the Bank ladder match of the Money in the Bank pay-per-view is the preferred verbiage, so I'll be checking you this entire time to make sure you stick to those every time you use those nouns. Um, and then what happened? I well, Not to get ahead of yourself, but I would say it may have been the least good of those. 
Yeah, I'm trying to okay because like, like I don't I, I don't know that I ever actually saw the 2010 the original Money in the Bank pay per view, but mm-hmm. I've heard it was good. And Eleven is certainly heralded as one of the great shows of all time. And uh, I think Dolph Ziggler landed on his head in an announced chair at 12, <laughs> so that was great. And uh, yeah, so they're always they've all been good, and this one was uh, you know less so. People complain a lot about oversaturation, but it's been like uh, four shows in seven weeks or something like that. And the two slam dunks, Money in the Bank was always a great pay-per-view. Elimination Chamber, maybe less um, attention gets paid to it because it it's, comes before WrestleMania and the, those matches were sort of the same, but that was always great. And then they had both of them in a fortnight. And then they were both pretty lackluster. So they've exposed themselves. Nope, that's not how we say that. Mm. They've overdone it so much that they've actually killed off the two gimmicks that were still kind of uh, worth going out of your way to see. So that's not good. No, I don't think they meant to, but yeah. (laughs) I don't think it was willful. (laughs) So how was parking? Did you take public transportation or what, some kind of garage situation? My friend uh, my friend Megan and I Ubered over. How 21st century? That's right. No, yeah. we've been in that for a while. But Yeah. I guess the most important question I have for you then is how tall was them ladders sitting out there? They're pretty tall. Yeah, real tall. If you were real far away. Mm, we, so they looked smaller. Yeah, but you can still tell it's like, and, and you know, I will say, and we'll get to it, but Big Show, it's, you, just, you just don't know until you see him live. <laughs> Um, okay, so a whole lot of ladders set up everywhere, mm-hmm. and then if you were looking forward to this ladder match, they got it out of the way in a hurry, did they not? Yeah, they, they got right to it, which I guess kind of makes sense, uh, sort of, because, you know, you don't want to, you had two ladder matches at night, so you want to spread them out, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually really liked the ladder match, the, the Money in the Bank match. I, I thought it was a lot of fun live. The one thing live that you notice when you're watching a multi-man match like this, though, is how much guys are just laying outside the ring next to the barricades to kind of hide from the cameras <laughs> because it's not their turn yet. Like, Randy Orton got taken out early in the match, and I swear to God he laid there for, like, 15 minutes. <laughs> so you just sit in the hammock position? Yeah, more or less. <laughs> yeah. Yeah you, know, yeah, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. That's, you can even catch just, like, the shoulders of someone chilling out, waiting for their spot. So to get the panorama view, I think, would be a real treat to be like, oh, mm-hmm. this is high, highly choreographed and fake. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd never, I'd never seen a match like this live and in person. So it was, it was that was a little bit eye opening. Because they can do a trick, a real Kevin Dunn subterfuge sleight of hand. If someone is climbing the ladder, then they will put the frame of the camera only on him, and then it's like, oh, well, he's definitely going to win. But then, as if through magic teleport, someone else is suddenly there. But for you, he's been sitting there and then checking his pulse and then waiting and then spraying into the ring. I mean, I, you know, from that perspective, though, it does kind of make sense. You just, you're just you laying in the weeds waiting for your uh, time to strike. So that would be kind of fun, maybe, to see the whole thing at play. Because if you're a real booking mind, like I think you and me are, <laughs> you can really see for sure. in, three, in three dimensions and, and set up your a great finish man and then I'm more like the body of the work and then kind of connecting the dots to make sure that everything holds up but you can see the whole thing and it's like uh, 
your uh, a rich tapestry, and you can you can know you can say, oh, he's there. I bet he's gonna do something like this, such as run in, and then they just finish her off a ladder. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to say I'm a better booker than people in WWE, but I maybe would have found a more exciting way to cap off that match. So this ladder match, people jumped all all over the place on near and behind in front of ladders. They um. Then Seamus, an Irish man who's certainly never had this opportunity before, is the briefcase. Um, I don't even like. I guess Neville could have won. People would have been like, "Ooh, NXT! We really like NXT." Short of him, I don't even know if anyone else was a possibility aside from the two of them. Especially with people presuming Ziggler at that point was on his way out. Maybe still do. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of thought it was possible Neville could win, but. With with a, with somebody like that, you always like think about what you hear about Vince McMahon, like booking Daniel Bryan and Damian Sandow to win, and then getting mad at himself the next day, <laughs> <laughs> just being like, "Well, got to make sure this doesn't work." Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I I kind of thought that was a possibility, but when Sheamus won, I was not surprised. It's like, well, yeah, this is he's not really doing anything right now, and I don't know, like. When is when when will he try to cash in? Why would he try to cash in? They're certainly not building toward it. That was why I ended up thinking it could only be Reigns in some sort of like get back in the mix type situation because no one else made sense to me like being in championship contention for the rest of the year, including Sheamus who's come back with with uh, a push and a heel turn which ostensibly uh, freshened him up. So my called shot is that they're finish to get out of uh, the next pay-per-view. Is it Battleground, I think? Yes. So Lesnar and Rollins, they will not have to do a finish by having Sheamus try and pull a Rollins, and he'll join the match at the end and then get beaten, and then Seth Rollins will be sneaky and hug the belt and run away. Um, well, here in maybe, the early fall, I can tell you that, that is exactly how it went. Yeah, that's uh, they, the solstice, really. Um makes me ingladdened and maybe some apple cider to accompany that. Thank you for reminding me what I already knew, which is that that is a thing that possibly I think happened. My pleasure. Um, but at the time I thought I'm probably maybe even putting too much thought into it when they could just have like Kane return from Hawaii and attack him for disqualification and then be like, well, that counts. See you next month. Pay-per-view over <laughs> match over. Can I ask you something about uh, the Kane Hawaii thing? Yes, absolutely. Okay, so I, I, you know, I think a lot of people who, you know, uh, frequent the internet for their wrestling news probably saw those pictures going around from WWE.com that that day. Do you you think it was a bridge too far for them to make their way onto Monday Night Raw? Uh, Considering... Like, they were clearly fake, though, right? Wasn't that the joke of them on the website? Is that they (laughs) were so cartoony fake? Yeah. And then, so why would they go on TV and be like, so, isn't this funny? Isn't this like Chris Jericho putting Chris Benoit's head on the Grinch who stole Christmas or assorted things he used to do in uh, 2000 with uh, the way he'd really get people's goats and say their name wrong and put them in a funny picture? That was like, Kane was not... Like uh, hula dancing on a volcano. I don't think that's a plausible vacation. Why couldn't they... Sending him to Hawaii, I think, would have been a nice gesture. He may as well. He was already uh, 
verging towards that hemisphere. I have to wait, picture the globe? Yes, I think that's how a transnational, international flight would work. You'd be in Japan, mm-hmm. right? And then you'd fly back across the Pacific Ocean? Yes. Is this all true? Yep. So yeah, just let them stop in Hawaii. And, and I think in or, uh, more glorious times, they would have been like, well, because we're making uh, uh, boatloads of money, <laughs> we let Kane go to Hawaii. And Failing that, what if you even just made some realistic photoshops of Kane on a beach? I don't think it would have been that, that hard. Like, you mean photoshops where he's not standing in his monster pose from clearly, like, ten years ago? <laughs> That's right, yes. Hmm. I don't think it would not have been hard to, to just, like, make uh, a CGI Kane who was just, like, enjoying a nice uh, drink with an umbrella in it, and it would have looked real, and it would have just slightly changed the skyline to give him a Hawaii sunset. But instead, it was cartoonishly Hawaii. So, or, you know, Andy, thank- like, rebuild the set from the Derek Bateman, Daniel Bryan double date and put some, like, lays in it or something. I don't know. Mm, exactly, yes. Yeah. And they were very happy for him that he had gone to Hawaii when it was so clearly uh, cartoonish and, and wrong. Yeah. So I think you raise an excellent point. If we're raising points about overexposure, I'd say letting Kane's uh, fake-looking pictures slip through the cracks mm. is a good sign that people are overworked. This is like the spring of the XFL all over again, where uh, when they were sharp, they never would have let these uh, implausible pictures of Kane air on their television. Or maybe it's just a sign that it's like it's just a weird variety show now, and none of this matters. I don't know. I'd say that is also inaccurate there. <laughs> Um, and yet, at the same time, they had uh, Brock Lesnar smash up a car for realsies and like heave it all about. When uh, that could have been like a, a pre-tape backstage, where they use judicious camera editing to like cut to a, a different car exploding. Maybe Vince's limo from 2007 blowing up instead of having him do it in front of the people, so you know it was real, and you can smell the glass. That segment was so, it was so fun. I had so much fun watching that. He just kept hitting it, Andy. Oh my god. I never thought he'd stop. I didn't want him to stop. And they let the car build heat. Normally instead of being one and done. They did, yeah. It was, uh, do you remember like when uh, Randy Orton got his new pickup truck? Ah, yes. Didn't Kofi Kingston like splatter paint all over it the same night? It was very similar archetypal angle because I believe the members of the legacy were <laughs> like, Randy, you did a great job, and to congratulate you, we got you this car. Um, it was always nice when Randy showed genuine affection for legacy, and he seemed uh, to be really appreciative of them giving it to him. And you're right, then Kofi Kingston, in I think his last uh, push before the New Day, uh didn't wait but a couple hours to pour paint all over it. Well, I guess if the opportunity's there, you take it. But... Mm-hmm. And then this car, maybe by virtue of the schedule or just whatever leasing situation they set up with it, was allowed to uh, get some squashes for a couple weeks and, and be built up the ladder uh, before it was desecrated. I did get like kind of scary Goldberg flashbacks, as I'm sure many people of uh, a similar age to me got when they saw him uh, start going ham on that uh, truck's win- or that car's windows, though. The attention to detail of those cane pictures says anything. I don't think they took the time to like have the Briscoe Body Shop put sugar glass windows in that car, 
and knowing Brock Lesnar, a real uh, badass cowboy badass man, he was like, yeah, I'm just going to beat up this car and smash it because I'm tough, which Goldberg, who is also the Universal Soldier, had the same mindset at the time. I'll punch it. I'll break it because I am a mean man who hits things. And then uh, he had like almost lost his hand because of that. But uh, as far as we know, aside from like the small child who was almost decapitated by uh, the door when he flunged it, <laughs> he was not. Oh no! Because uh, it did just. Maybe, was it just the observer that came up that uh, Jamie Noble apparently t- didn't take a bump, but he like fell in the broken glass, which apparently confirms uh, retroactively to what I just said that it was real glass and got all cut. <laughs> I didn't get a chance to look at the Observer yet, so I, I'm glad that uh, you have some. some uh, that's interesting news to learn. He's having a rough go of it lately. Mm-hmm. And what else was scary to me is I thought, because uh, again, you and I are, are real veterans in this business. I thought um, Joey Mercury taking that belly to belly was insane because of geometry <laughs> and like no way to flat back on uh, a raised surface that is. Uh, half the distance you're normally falling. I thought taking an F5 on it, while I'm sure uncomfortable, would have been very easy. And it almost seemed to me like, because the crowd started chanting suplex, that Joey Mercury fell to his knee and called a belly-to-belly instead of an F5. And then a belly-to-belly he did receive. But that's pure conjecture on my part. Yeah, there just wasn't enough room, really. (laughs) It's kind of (laughs) what befell him there. Uh, Some of those suplexes Kofi Kingston took in Japan too were like, oh man, but what if you didn't do that? What if he did a little more than that? Uh, it wasn't quite so much like that. Yeah, he wouldn't be Brock then. Yeah, I guess that's true. Another thing about that Money in the Bank match is, um, again, trying to go back in the mindset before it instead of my mindset after it, which in, in which I have no thoughts on it. <laughs> we're like, When they named Kofi and Neville, who few people expectations to win, it was like, oh, they put him in there to do something crazy bonkers madness. And then they really didn't, did they? <laughs> I hate to say it. I hardly remember now. Maybe Neville maybe Devil Neville did a big dive and like a big pile on the outside. I don't know. I feel like that's a, a useful assumption that is probably true, but I can neither confirm nor deny. I think they both jumped off the ladder at some point. Yeah. But in terms of, like, Kofi, Kofi may have hit a wall with the Battle Royal spots they have him do every year. I think the Andre Battle Royal doubling his workload has really, uh, much like the addition of SmackDown in 1999, uh, burnt out Kofi's creativity (laughs) at twice the rate. Here's a good way to recap this match. What do you remember happened? Because I don't (laughs) think I can think of anything besides (laughs) Brunette. memorable spots okay here's, here's, I, I assume randy orton hit a flurry of rkos on everybody and yeah. went to a place where he hears voices in his that head. was pretty near the end I, I i seem to remember that happening okay uh roman reigns like i mentioned earlier powerbomb people onto the ladders like set up in the corner which was super cool the crowd got really into him then and then went back to booing him shortly thereafter <laughs> uh he did his big undertaker dive Right. Uh, which he does at every pay-per-view now, pretty much. <laughs> which is great. I mean, that's fine. That's it's, It looks really good when he does it. It makes me say, oh, this Roman Reigns, he does all the cool moves like all my favorites, and I really <laughs> like him now. <laughs> He's basically like them also, but better. <laughs> it's better hair, for sure. Um, mm-hmm. I, okay, I'm going to say Neville did a big jump onto the outside. Yes. Let's just, let's just go with that. Um Bray Wyatt appeared from under the ring, which Brie Bella was also under. 
Maybe they were canoodling down there. Maybe. <laughs> it's that dimension, though, to uh, ancient Ireland of yore, where the Hornswoggle used to live. And there was a green light, with I the, think. Uh, with the little people's court down there and all that. That's right, yes. It's a whole uh, uh, wormhole. Also hell. That's right, too. Yep. These are all the lessons of <laughs> Nolan's Interstellar. And, uh, and let's see, and then Seamus just like kind of walked up the ladder and, and knocked Neville off and took the briefcase. Those are the things I remember. Uh, and I can't call you out on any of them because it's all completely plausible. Yeah. And I distinctly remember last year, Rollins and Ambrose fighting all Ahoy, uh, and, and then Seth got backdropped off a ladder, onto a ladder, and bounced onto a ladder, which hit the ground laterally. So mm. I remember that distinctly, and I also remember Zeb Coulter almost getting blown up by Kane's pyro. And I don't remember anything this year. Hey, here's a question, Andy, for the live experience. Sure. How loud and hot was Kane's pyro? Um, did it go boom? Yeah, it did. It was fun being with people, a couple people who had never experienced that before because it really scared the crap out of them. It does me every time I forget. It's been so many years of Kane. I I remember going to Raw in the like the days of lots and lots of pyro, the uh, the making lots of money days you mentioned earlier. Uh, and so like it's nothing like that anymore. So I feel like this is just this is pretty much child's play at this point because all that pyro at the beginning was crazy and very hot. So hot and so loud mm-hmm. and and. Uh... I, they should be a, a barometer of all these unruly crowds where if the crowd misbehaves and boos Roman Reigns and doesn't do what they're supposed to, like they should set it up for Royal Rumbles now as a safeguard. <laughs> that if it goes bad, then they should shoot the fireworks into the crowd like they did at WrestleMania 24. <laughs> yes. Like, yeah, you little shits. <laughs> we'll fight fire with fire. God. Yeah. So that's a good ordinance for to avoid what we what we uh, talked about before about can they get through Royal Rumble this year without everyone hating it and destroying it and ruining the show. So it's a good threat. It's a mutually assured destruction. I do think with mentioning Kane in this context that we have finally talked about all the people who are in that match. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I um yeah, I would also like to take this point, Andy I will give you a Money in the Bank podcast briefcase, and you can uh, cash that in on any show I do for the next year, and then you can just come in and interrupt it and change the show to whatever you want to do. Fabulous. That is also uh, one of the ongoing story arcs, uh, along with Alan and Todd, which may not happen now. You could change it with a snap of the fingers, but (laughs) you want to keep that element of surprise out there. So how exciting for you. Um, but again, it's it's more strategy than athleticism. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to call my shot. Uh, I'll just wait. <laughs> so, that definitely, I'd say we covered it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to, to all we needed to do. Yeah. Roman Reigns didn't win. I had a hearty chuckle at his expense, but the joke's going to be on me in the long run, but for now, haha. Um, I mean, that was the money in the bank. We are pretty much done. The Money in the Bank ladder match, the Money in the Bank pay-per-view, everything after here is uh, coasting. So, good job so far. Thanks. Now let's kick it into the next gear. Okay. Andy, give Divas a chance. Give Divas a championship match. I won't do it. The- <laughs> Nikki Bella and Paige. This was, uh, you foreshadowed, an absurd finish, right? With the yeah. letter of the law ruling via referee. 
I'm never sure what editorial stance to take on these shows yeah. because they always come weeks after the pay-per-view and it's not like I'm really reporting what happened. But for context, I guess I should remind that this was the match where Paige rolled up uh, Nikki Bella, but it was not her. It was her twin sister, Brie, who since they used to do the twin switcheroos, some things have changed. And uh, so Brie had to, instead of just the genetic strand of uh, Garcia Kalachi. DNA that split the zygote. Uh, now Brie had to stuff her bra and uh, and hide a tattoo, I guess. But the referee still um, he counted it, and then she said, "No, it wasn't me," which is to me uh, pretty controversial uh, officiating. It's yeah, it's it's kind of like uh, looks. Listen, I was just an innocent bystander hiding, <laughs> hiding under this ring. Um, don't know why you pulled I me just into this. Tripped forward into a small package. Anyway, she they cheated real bad. It wasn't fair, I don't think, in my opinion. But the quest continues. Someday, justice, maybe. Wouldn't that be weird, looking forward to what we've already seen, but we'll... <laughs> Boy, I should not have come up with that conceit, because it makes things... <laughs> Knowing how this page angle played out with the call-up, maybe? It's still probably of NXT. <laughs> I, mean, it's, I mean, it's really not happening fast enough for me. They, um, I can see them getting so impatient and ixnaying things to the point where it's just like, the angle started with Naomi and Tamina being like, we don't want to be your partner, and get out, to them just being like, alright, we'll be your partner, let's have some six-man tags. People change their minds, you know? Yeah. (laughs) They'll be so moved by her plight. That is weird, though, because Sasha Banks, who is the boss, from what I've heard, Mm -hmm. would be weird for her to come as just like the benchmark of female progress i guess when you've got swag you just got swag and people will cheer for her anyway or at least you know the the diehard people will be behind her because she's nxt and then like really good but uh she won't be the fool sasha banks if she's not mean to people yeah if she if she just comes up and is like friend of page that would be that would be right. very strange me and shardog here and and the pager, we like women's wrestling who are good, so we want to team up together against women wrestlers who are bad. Because that's what, what people seem to anticipate is happening, right? Is that those two will come up? Yeah, I mean, that would kind of... Those are like the two you'd want, I think. But mm-hmm. Sasha has that pesky women's title that she holds. Yes, well, maybe that's... We just saw with Owens that they won't like, not even get that far. And they'll be like, well, we'll just... Next time we're in Asia, we'll get it up. <laughs> yeah. I guess Becky and Bailey Lynch and whatever her last name is, uh, staying would make sense. And then um, I was gonna say Bailey could win the belt, but if Bailey's gonna be in developmental for like the next three years, then that's probably something they should hold off because once she does it, then people will be happy. And then where do you go from there? You shut the place down at that point, I think. Yeah. I guess Zayn did just do the same thing too, so some mean lady can come in and take it <laughs> straight away. Yeah. yeah, I don't I don't know who would be an in vogue fat indie lady who could who could uh, do that to her. Maybe they can just get in vogue. Oh. <laughs> ah, they're never going to get them. That's the thing I <laughs> All right, good night everybody. Uh I don't even want to continue from that because you perfectly closed the book. So <laughs> Ryback and Big Show. I, I need to talk about Ryback and Big Show. 
Yeah. Okay, so there was a point in this match. This match, this was a nothing match, but um, there was a point in the match where people started their old, their please retire chants at poor Big Show. And, and I remembered at the uh, aforementioned NXT house show in Columbus. The, <laughs> so they, they, they signed this house show and they put, they advertised Ryback and Big Show on it. I guess because they were afraid it wouldn't sell if there weren't real stars there. So we ended up getting this like really, really super pro NXT crowd set, sitting there and having to watch a Ryback versus Big Show match. And they started these please retire chants. And as far as I know, that was the genesis of them. Hmm. Do you recall a time before that? Like, I thought they chanted them in England after WrestleMania, but I don't. No. Okay. Well, this would have been this year's WrestleMania. You mean, right? Yes. Well, this this would have been before WrestleMania. Oh, then yeah, I think you're right. So I think it was February. So, and you know, Big Show actually he so so the crowd in Columbus completely shit on this NXT match because they were there to see NXT, not to see Ryback and Big Show. So mm-hmm. these guys never had a chance. But Ryback didn't take it well. <laughs> he got real mad. Uh, Big Show really rolled with it uh, and started, you know, shouting about how he has a 10-year contract and, and you know, get used to seeing him. And so then when the crowd started chanting the, the, the please retire thing at him at the, uh, at the Money in the Bank, I, I just kind of felt bad for the guy. I was like, come on, I'm sure a lot of you people were there. You saw how well he is. <laughs> he's, a, he's a nice man. He's a nice giant. And uh, I don't know. I have a soft spot for the big show. Yeah, I I take your point uh completely. Big Show is nice and um I don't know, he's a he's a good conduit for people's negative vibes, but there's he's just a one facet of things. Like the fact that the authority need not exist at all. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That that's 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 actually I mean that's a good larger point, but <laughs> you know, at this show specifically, this match was nothing and had a run-in DQ finish, so Big Show and Ro- how did that match end? Uh, Miz, it only says by disqualification. Miz oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, there you go. Um, to keep it going. God, we're still yeah, we're still living in that feud now. <laughs> but then uh, Ryback, we're projecting won a number one contenders match <laughs> right. to challenge Seth Rollins at Hell in a Cell. Probably over the Miz. That could be. Who was also positioned as a strong contender at the time. Um. Cena. Okay. Yeah, finally. Yeah. Now, when you bought the ticket for the show, this was probably nowhere on the radar. No. Something you expected to see after. God, no. Um, yeah, I, that, that put me in a much better mood about the, uh, about the money I dropped on this ticket. The show was called Money in the Bank, and by the time we got to it, it should have been called Cena versus Owens in a match. Because mm-hmm. that was what people were more, in fact, the only thing almost people were into. Yeah. Uh, so the, yeah, so these guys had had the, the first match at, I guess they had the first match at Elimination Chamber, right? Yeah, that's right. And that was very, very good. Some would say great. I would be one of those some. <laughs> and then this uh, was also... We have great. a quorum. Yeah. People were not psyched about John Cena winning this match. That, too. I was pretty psyched about it. Well, after all the moves they did... I was psyched. Yeah. At that point, they'd done so many good moves in such a good way and a unique order. 
with good ideas in between them of how to get to them. It was just like, yes, good job, everybody. Um, I mean, I agree with the general idea that if I was booking in a different world, I would have held off instead of the John Cena pattern of some recent feuds where a guy beats him and then John Cena totally beats them a bunch more times. Um, as we record this now in the time paradox that I accidentally created, I still think Owens is going to beat him and get the U.S. title. Um, Don't worry, he did. But I guess that means... Yeah, thank you. What a relief. Uh... I guess that means more matches, though, or some other heel could cost Cena the match, but, like, either way, it used to mean something to keep someone undefeated. Uh, if it, Then they'd have a real allure, and you could puncture it. And then you just saw with Rusev that it was more that he won all the time and smashed people than it was just a push guy on TV. But the bigger track record for people... Um, succeeding and failing in WWE is not so much whether they're kept undefeated as that the people in charge stay interested in them. So it almost doesn't matter if he lost this match. It only matters that he has to keep playing shoots and ladders without falling to the booking ladder where one day someone is like, what is this? Let's stop this. And that's the end of this. So whether he wins or loses to John Cena matters in the micro, but I don't think necessarily matters in the macro. You're, I mean, you're, you are definitely right about that, but it, it is it is one of those things where people look at it and say, "Oh man, like it would have been cool if Owens could have just lorded it over Cena for a couple of months before they got back into the ring." And given full creative control, uh, like that contract from that movie oh. Wrestling with Shadows, <laughs> I think I would have just like had Kevin Owens win by cheating super bad in an unfair way, and then it was like, oh my god, two nothing? That's unprecedented for John Cena. But it was more about the matches, right? They just they did a bunch of maneuvers, and uh, they had some great matches. Just padding Cena's Wrestler of the Year resume here. Oh my god, what a we're we're he's too good for us, honestly. <laughs> Let's go back to those Big Show chants. Like at this point. John Cena is the hero, blah blah blah. Dark Knight quote, whatever. People always mangle it and bring it up. Well, I, He's that. I mean, I think that, like, I think that's why he keeps doing that springboard stunner, just to remind us that <laughs> nothing can be perfect. You know. Um, boy, I wish I could just give John Cena a nice greeting card because um, uh, maybe the equivalent of that was that Chicago accidentally got tricked into giving him a standing ovation after this match uh, they had on Raw because that's enough. And for like. Cena, we know he's has some kind of uh he like clearly thinks Cesaro is rad as hell and can do a bunch of cool power moves. Um and he always got a kick out of CM Punk, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, even if they were never became like best pals. Oh he had to have, yeah. Yeah, he was just like, This guy <laughs> is come on, I love it. And so it, Chicago in general, at the end of that match, um they had on Monday, he looked into the crowd and said, Chicago, for realsies, thank you. And John Cena has that Hogan-esque quality to be like overly sincere to the point of insincerity. But I think he does like, he just loves it for some reason. So, oh, yeah. I, what, you, I, what can we get for John Cena? I totally, <laughs> I, I really think we've got to uh, ponder that. But I think you're totally right about that. I mean, I think that when he does that kind of stuff, I, even though it seems like, with anybody else, it would be so fake. I I never doubt his sincerity. Like at the you know when it comes right down to it, I think he's just the best. Like he may be 
a robot cyborg, but <laughs> his programming is still genuine. It's not malicious. Yeah, uh, he's like the uh, he's like the AI kid. Oh, uh, from AI, yeah. <laughs> like Johnny Five or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that was uh, who was uh, Haley Joel. Oh, Joel Osmond. Yeah. That was called AI, right? Yeah. That poor guy. He went in the. There's so much garbage on the world. Right. Or was that a Pixar movie? <laughs> oh, that was. <laughs> That was Wall E. Yeah. Yes. Wall E dangerous. Like Cena's also like Wall E, so there you throw. He's so noble. Yeah. He's just super earnest. But the, I mean, yeah. and this was this was before the Cesaro series of two right. that we've had here recently. And even then, at the end of the match, I was just like, God, John Cena. He's just like he's the best guy, certainly in this company right now. Hmm. I um. I was reminded when they. Uh, Cena got that uh, genuine applause in Chicago. So I saw Triple H and uh, Chris Benoit of that uh, Chris Jericho Photoshop in 2000, and little else of note. Um, they had a 60-minute Iron Man match. Oh, yeah. and um, That was uh, 2004, right? Yes, that's right. Okay. And um, so after the show, uh, Batista and Flair of the group Evolution uh, carried Triple H up the ramp, and then they stopped at the top of the ramp and did the stair. And uh, I think Batista and Flair applauded, and then everyone uh, gave him a standing ovation. And so some of the initial reports were like, Triple H received standing ovation after this match, when in fact it was more that Triple H's uh, friends and himself decided that he would take a standing ovation and then they got one by staring into the crowd and being and clearing their throat <laughs> to the point where the crowd was like uh yeah yeah yes of course of course standing ovation standing ovation but the scene thing was for real and the analogy that i remember that i was making was cena and owens the givingness of cena in that program and the magnanimity of him was not just that he let Owens go toe-to-toe with him and then even beat him clean, but they just like worked a crazy indie dream match main event with a whole bunch of moves. Every move that Steve Austin saw in that YouTube video of the best moves of <laughs> Kevin Steen, they did them. Yeah. Whereas um, when Triple H had his similar... Um, you know, collision of eras matches with Daniel Bryan and the Shield. It was more that like they worked a Triple H psychology, like modernized touring NWA champion, uh, Indian Deathlock match, yeah. and worked in some of the guys' spots. Yeah. Whereas Cena was just like, "Yeah, man, I'll try new crazy stuff. Let's do a bunch of rad moves, man." And rad moves they did. So that goes to my point that. Uh, John Cena is super cool, and Triple H is uh, not as cool as John Cena. Take note, Chicago, who cheered Triple H in 2006 WrestleMania, and Nerd was all surprised when he tapped out. (laughs) That guy, oh man, that's got to be around in gift form somewhere, right? I mean, I'm sure it was at the time, but... Well, Nerd grew up to be... um, Nerd was then the father of uh, Jeff Hardy fan who was uh, surprised and mad that CM Punk <laughs> was dressed up as Jeff Hardy. <laughs> and then I don't know what he's been. I think he married Ms. Girl. Yeah, very likely. Uh, I think it was officiated by Undertaker, I pop out guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's, 
What a beautiful tapestry. Uh, I would before we like move on from uh, talking about how great John Cena is. I would I, I would have to say, or uh, my friends will my friends will kill me uh, that uh, he's also. They're gonna listen to this. What? <laughs> They're gonna listen to me do this. My friend Megan is like the biggest fan of you. Like it's crazy. Um, Shout out to Megs. Yeah. Cannot call her Megs. You, you can absolutely call her Megs. Um, but also, John Cena, so good for Nikki. Ooh! Incredibly perfect match. Yeah. They're um, just two people who... I don't know if this is going to be the year that they finally uh, log it down. There was a shot of Nikki in a wedding dress on uh, the teaser freezer for uh, the rest of the Total Divas season, which I can only take to mean what it implies, that she's definitely getting married to John Cena. Dude, my DVR cut off like right as the episode <gasps> ended. I didn't get to see the this season on. I'm so bummed. Oh, it's always tantalizing, but this one was as tantalizing as ever. Ah, yeah. Probably cut off right before Daniel Bryan conceded debris that he had secret AIDS. <laughs> so, I can tell you that is a thing that happened. Shit. Here, I the, verbatim it was she was pretty much just like Brian has been really hurt as of late with headaches and can't wrestle matches. They won't put him in uh, wrestling matches. That's the talking head. Uh-huh. And it cuts to them in the sit down, and uh, Brian Danderson is like, "Ha <laughs> chuckle, every man chuckle." Yeah, so I have secret AIDS, and they're not going to let me get in the ring anymore. And she was like, oh my god, Brian. And then I went back to her brief talking head, and she was like, when Brian told me he had secret AIDS and couldn't compete in a WWE ring anymore, I could not believe it. So that's something you have to look forward to if you go tape a replay. <laughs> Super. Get the, uh, yeah. the preview of the rest of the season. The setup for the old uh, record one minute over trick. What do you think of uh, <laughs> John Cena being great is priority one, and then sub-priority is going to be to talk about this episode of Total Divas, and then we'll go back to the Cena Owens match itself. Yeah. It, for me personally, fulfilled like a dream, historical overlap of eras for Jonathan Marie Coyle Nelson. <laughs> yeah. To say on camera and and national cable television that he thought that Brian Kendrick was dope. <laughs> we were, we were, oh god, we laughed so hard at that. Um, what an endorsement from the Kingmaker. <laughs> yeah, seriously. The dopeness of Brian Kendrick. He did seem pretty dope in that episode. He was definitely my favorite part of that particular hour. Super super dope. Seems such he, like such a nice guy. Really wants her to get it, you know incredibly positive yeah. which is also what jonathan said is that this dope guy is so encouraging and positive with like a good positive outlook mm-hmm. you know i all in all I, I have to say i didn't really like the episode that much i thought it laid groundwork for some things that could be pretty good later on but mm. as just like one self-contained total divas i uh i wasn't thrilled it set up uh some overarching conflicts i guess I guess it was the the Bellas are quitting storyline is kind of uh, uh, on the surface hard to take when they're like portrayed as like Bret Hart working without a contract. <laughs> She's the champion and wins all these matches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, d- I don't know. And like, no John Cena. Come on. Normally, it's good to get everyone broken off in in individual storylines for character development, but this was more of a. Uh, 
two-tiered plot where it was just the Eva, Brian Kendrick, Jonathan plot, and then everyone else was conspiring against her and being like, grr. But I did think it was funny that, like... (laughs) So, the plot of the episode was Eva either lied or there was some kind of miscommunication where she said she was going to NXT in Florida, and instead she had personal wrestling lessons from Brian Kendrick in Los Angeles. And everyone in the cast was incredibly pissed about this. And then somehow it gets back to Eva through hearsay or Cameron. And then she's like, man, I can't say I'm happy about everyone talking shit on me. And then that gets back to everyone else. And they're like, who does she think she is for being upset that we're all saying these terrible things about her? I kind of thought this was like the manifestation of like, if, if WWF had, uh, had signed Goldberg from his WCW contract in 2001 and given him <laughs> given him all that money and people just being real mad at Goldberg for no good reason. Like, this guy's going to come... Oh! Did you hear what he said? <laughs> Did you hear when he said he was going to have a match in our company? As he's supposed to do? Are we just supposed to forget about the incident at the Nat P convention with Triple H? <laughs> I had until just this moment when it popped in my head. <laughs> What a pool, all five <laughs> correct letters of Nappy. Oh, I thought it might have been Nappy, but I, I just went for it. Uh, well, let's use the clues to figure out if you're right. I assume it means the National American Toys and Physical Education <laughs> yeah, that's... Convention. Yes. <laughs> so... All the toys and action figures and then just gym equipment for uh, presidential fitness tests mm-hmm. and shuttle runs and things like that. And then Goldberg was there for both because he's an athlete and uh, very deeply concerned about children. And uh, he was also a wrestler in WC. Mm-hmm. So that's at the NATP, the North American, is that what I said? Yeah. National Alliance? <laughs> oh, yeah, name. Toys and physical education. Yep. <laughs> it was a great pool. All checks out. Well, your analogy, your metaphor, your comparison, and your joke all check out 100%. So, The B storyline was just, I don't know. Natty is a exploring her dumb side. Come on now. Tyson, I think, was shoot hot, though. Um, for uh, one of the running things of people who observe and comment on Total Divas to be like, and then a fake thing happened. <laughs> it didn't happen for real. And watching it, I knew that it was not real, and it was fake. So I was like, this is fake and not real. So what am I watching? Whereas I watch Total Divas, and I wait to see what's real life. And I thought TJ was for real hot about having to do those dominatrix spots and uh, his actual argument was, I'm a, I'm a tag team champion. <laughs> I don't want to be purring like a cat. And I think that's real. I think he's like, I got a belt. I can't be, I got to protect the business. I can't be selling like this. I, I, I uh, under ideal circumstances, I think that's the way I would watch Total Divas. And in my head, I do. But because of who I watch it with, my fiance, and mm. her... Uh, strong background of watching every reality show there is. Um, when I suggest that something's fake, she gets very upset. Mm. So I kind of have to keep those kinds of things to myself. Like I can't really call out like, "Oh, I think he might be really mad," because then it, it's like, "Oh, and the rest of it's right, not," right, right. you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I can't really do that. I just have to pretend everything's legit. 
Now, what are the thoughts of uh, an individual by the name of Megan on Total Divas? And a fourth person who was also named. <laughs> um, Megan, uh, my friend of Megan, uh, loves the Total Divas. Uh, really enjoys it. it. I think it helped kind of, you know, I think it kind of helped uh, get her more into wrestling, actually. So bridging, bridging the gap, you know, between uh, reality television and uh, wrestling bullshit. Well, that was a, a twist because I bet Megan had dropped her guard and didn't expect to be named by name again. So what were we? Oh yeah, and so Natty. Yeah. And now a thing that was less real was when her mother, uh, <laughs> Ellie Hart Neidhart, came in. Just kind of there for the ride. Because this is my my uh, overarching theory of what happened is that TJ stormed off in a shoot and was like, "No, fuck this. I've been cooperative." We faked our divorce and all that. Uh, but I'd say I'm going to draw the line here as a tag team champion. I'm not going to uh, be a kitty cat in weird sex stuff. And stormed off for real in a car. And then the producer was like, uh, who else can we get? And that was like, I guess I'd call my mom. <laughs> and I was like, can you come over here right now and pretend to be a cat and, and dress up in bondage tape? And she was like, sure. Because... Uh, you know, she's a heart. Because then she came in and was like, Nat, what are you doing here? What is this, some kind of dominatrix gone in your house, kitchen, happening right now? I'm surprised to see this. <laughs> so that's my take. Do you think she just thought, if that is all true, do you think she just thought that the uh, the anvil wouldn't go for it? <laughs> that's probably why, and I don't know where your DVR cut, but there was only a fraction of a second <laughs> of Jim Nuthart in the teaser. Oh. But he's in the... Uh, the um, Nat and Tej's driveway, smashing a large ceramic something, and then it cuts away. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Holding it over his head, as like Atlas held the globe of the Earth in Greek times, uh-huh. and then just heaves it into the ground and it shatters. And uh, so that's something to look forward to. Man. Please, if you have any more TD's thoughts. No, I, just briefly, I just, I mean... I, I do hope I do have hopes that it will uh, that it will engage me more as time goes on, and uh, I've I've rarely been let down by the show before. Uh, first half of last season, notwithstanding, and I I just uh, yeah I, w- I was the thing I was most looking forward to in wrestling for a long time, so I'm so glad it's back. Another person related to that show who is hoping that it she's saying engage me more is Nikki Bella. Who wants to now? Let me, let me say that again more clearly because it's really good. And I, I kind of see how the editing process might work now. <clears throat> no, this is. <laughs> let me be clear about this. You said engage you more, and then another person on that show who's saying engage me more is Nikki Bella mm. <laughs> because of marriage engagement. Yes, saying engage me more like Ryback. <laughs> Engage me more. And she will, I'm sure. <laughs> Another thing they teased is a love triangle with her old flame, Dolph Ziggler. Um, so that's exciting. Because uh, do you, I remember a small moment, was it last year? Uh, I think was uh, that um, they was like, they. it's not one of the stagey scenes, but more just like when they have the cameras running. And it was Brie and Nikki and Dolph backstage. And then as if just to burn him or rib him as we say 
on camera, Nikki said in like a stage conversational whisper to Ziggler, Hey, remember when Brian carried your ass on pay-per-view? <laughs> that was I do remember that. That was pretty great. So that was the the groundwork, I hope, for, for a big love triangle. The sad thing is, uh, do you think that uh the hit movie, which we all know was an, another Bridesmaids. Mm-hmm. It was a phenomenon. It was the Amy Schumer uh, train wreck film, yes. which this being the fall now, is, we can't wait for the Blu-ray <laughs> and the, all the special features and the commentary of Apatow and Schumer, which we loved. Bridesmaids 2.0. But anyway, what my point was, do you think Ziggler got the uh, CM Punk on the cover of the video game treatment where the email chain says, no, you really want Seamus for this? Where she was just going to have Dolph Ziggler play himself. Dolph Ziggler, whose Twitter bio, as we all know, says stand-up comedian, making him the perfect candidate to uh, be in this improvised comedy. And they were like, well, that's a good idea, but a better idea if the name is John Cena and not Dolph Ziggler. I think that Judd Apatow is such a man that if he really, really wanted to get Dolph Ziggler for it, he probably could have swung that. I guess that is true. I think, you know, John Cena's got some chops. Marine, 12 Rounds. That's true. Fred the Movie. (laughs) Whatever that is. Do we even know that he's a wrestler character? Has it been implied in the previews? Because all I know so far is that he's super into his body and being real strong. Yeah, he's real swole. Um, yeah. Like, just like in real life. <laughs> so, but not swole from the No Limit Soldiers. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I guess there is certainly, based on history, as you mentioned with the CM Punk uh, cover switch thing, uh, there is history to suggest that they could very well have said that, but I don't know. I, I, on this one, I'm not feeling it. I think Apatow, he didn't, he didn't go for those pressure games. Yeah, and I like certainly John Cena is much closer to being cast in that movie than a Dolph Ziggler. Totally. It's just weird when it, it is actually Dolph Ziggler's life. Yes. It's not like when CM Punk wanted to be like Tattoo Man of the Year 2011, <laughs> and they were like... A good choice, but a better choice for uh, tattoos are, of course, Randy Orton, a man with uh, no absence of tattoos himself. Uh, But this was, like, actually pretty much a documentary of what Dolph Ziggler did, and then they recast him in his own biography for John Cena. (laughs) Like when Dolph Ziggler uh, so many times thought he was going to do something, and then they were like, but instead, what have you lost instead? So, Hmm... Either way, so um, he is, I guess he'll have a match on SummerSlam. Maybe a mixed tag team match. Do you think they won't Uh, do it at Battleground? Oh, well, I guess Rusev jumped around like he could wrestle now, but then they exploded Dolph's throat. So I don't know if he's supposed to be out for a while. Oh, right, yeah. The larynx. The true heat that he killed Dolph Ziggler's uh, stand-up comedy. And I think I've stolen that joke from someone on uh, Twitter. And I don't know who, so I'm sorry. But it wasn't me. It was the the glimmer of an idea, and then I remembered, oh yeah, that's because someone else already said that. I remember Road Dog had that happen to him. Somebody did that to him one time, and then he couldn't cut a promo the next week, and like it got real big heat. Oh, because he couldn't do all those yeah. uh, words in succession. And people were real mad. And I always thought that was like, that's such, like, I like that. It was, it was cool they did that. One of Dave's uh, 
recurring ideas as all the back issues from the prime of the rocks run come up is that pretty much the whole time he's always suggesting and waiting for them to do the angle where they uh, break his throat and then he can't cut promos and do all his catchphrases for the millions of people and uh, and make them all sad. But he also is constantly pitching the idea where they shave the people's eyebrow. And uh, it's just weird to apply that kind of thinking to uh, The Rock <laughs> for even a minute. Now, granted, I guess he did have gynocostomastomastia for a while, mm-hmm. which is more embarrassing. But I guess that's more of a... <clears throat> I can't get a sued for slander, but they're or a high-level athlete like The Rock would have that kind of affliction versus where The Rock himself would be walking around uh, with one eyebrow shaved <laughs> off. Which would just be bizarre. I, I think I might have written that angle on an EFED one time. but uh, Really? Yeah. <laughs> I was probably uh, influenced by Dave, I, I imagine, but yeah. Did they shave the eyebrow for heat or did he lose it in an eyebrow versus eyebrow? <laughs> that, definitely for heat. I believe it was Erwin Archeister who did it. So. Whoa! <laughs> Let's not go too far down the rabbit hole, but I, what an impact <laughs> angle to bring him back! Yeah, yeah. Prominent role. Oh god! Is that like when oh, Rick Rude was training for a comeback during Nitro to come work with Austin? Mike Rotundo is doing the same thing to jump back. It's exactly IRS like with, that. Yes, with massive heat behind him oh. to come and shave the rocks. Eye. Is that night one? Did he debut? Yeah, and be like, "Oh my God!" Out of the crowd. Yeah, after it's Irwin Archlister. I mean, he cut a bunch of promos about tax cheats first, probably, but you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and how deep into rocks was it? Like Rock did not like properly file his taxes on the back end points of the Scorpion King, or was it not that far? Into uh, I don't. I don't even think we got that far into the angle. The person who was controlling the Rock was like, "I don't like this." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "All right, sorry." Well, it's too late. It's canon. <laughs> that Rick Rude thing always makes me sad when I think about it. It yeah. Anyway. Well, I mean, sad indeed. But more about this Erwin Archer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Um. And anyway, speaking of success stories and happiness. Mm-hmm. Uh, you did see the tag team championship change hands, which when it happened, I went, what? No, because the new day is great. Um, but still, primetime players have been at it a long time, and it is uh, a victory for uh, for them. And uh, Ethan Carter the three to win the belts in the same uh, couple-week period is such a victory for um, uh, uh, NXT Redemption. Uh, yeah, actually. <laughs> Also, and uh, Maxine, whatever her name is, according to a video clip I saw, also had an achievement in which she conjured some lightning warriors to beat up Ivelisse and her pals. Have you heard about this? That son of Havoc and the other guy? Yes. And Helico? Uh Uh-huh. That's a bummer. Well, I mean, good for Maxine for having all that power, but... Oh. And I don't mean that she called them or even that she got them to surprise them. I'm from what I remember watching it, she I don't remember if there's an incantation or something, but uh they did uh zap from uh really nothing and appear and beat them up with punches. Uh and so that was a great achievement for her. So 
try promotional success for the sons and daughters of not Havoc, but NXT Redemption. That really sucks. I don't get El Ray. And it, it really sucks for poor EC3 that um, he wins the title in the week that uh, the venerated Pro Wrestling Illustrated stopped recognizing it as a uh, title. That's a very good point. Yeah. Well, hopefully he gets to be like Rhino of ECW. <laughs> I pretty much think he's going to be. Defend that belt on indie shows. One of the reasons... Uh, remember that we postponed the show is that I was hoping if we waited one more week that TNA would go out of business but they didn't wasn't so fortunate well next time (laughs) and this being oh since we're talking in September things could be looking up for that having happened so based on one fragment of reality really hope and am happy that that has have happened so uh, all of them can Stick it, brother. <laughs> so yeah, but the tag team championship changed hands. What a what a blessing uh, for them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think one of the things that held back the Money in the Bank ladder match was that the two best candidates for winning the briefcase to me would be Kevin Owens and Dean Ambrose as far as like possibilities that you could do with them. Yeah. And unfortunately, they were both tied up in like the actual main events of the show. I was pleasantly surprised that that Ambrose thing got extended out to the show, though, because I never thought I'd get to see Dean Ambrose made him in a pay-per-view in a title match, you know? Oh, yeah, speaking of things that uh, you were not expecting. when, you, In fact, when you bought the ticket, I bet things were pointing towards, like, Kane's babyface turn, right? Isn't that where TV was at that point? It, it was, but I just I could not imagine that they would actually put that on pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. I mean, they could have, but I just, I, I couldn't, I really couldn't conceive of, like, what would that match be like? Is it, like, a pay-per-view main event? Like, how could you even do it? Mm-hmm. Like, would it have to be, like, a, would they actually have to do, like, a 15-minute world title match? And, like, how terrible would that be? Oh, Andy. Guess what? What's up? Okay, so that, to bring it back to the beginning of the show, I was mistaken when I said that Ryback won that uh, number one contendership battle royal. Oh, God. It was a just an incorrect report. It was fake spoilers that someone sent in. And like a dummy, I read them without vetting them. Talk about the, uh, oh, what a match. So it's Hell in a Cell. It's the 17, 18-year anniversary of the debut of the Devil's Favorite Demon, Kane. You know, yeah. And now he's ripping off that door again and coming in to finally get his choke slamming gloves on Seth Rollins, that pipsqueak jerk. Yeah. God. I think that's highly plausible. It, it like it makes just the right amount of sense. Oh, dude. When I bummed That would out, be a challenge. That would be a challenge. I maybe Seth would be up to it. I don't know. They could just do that original Hell in a Cell move for move where Seth Rollins is a little athletic jerk and runs away the whole time but i in this he's not really capable of taking the same kind of like violent beating to pay it off probably not um maybe they could use the fact that like kane didn't really get to go to hawaii as heat though (laughs) oh i can see that angle where (laughs) seth is trying to get the authority to help him and then they don't And he's like, and you didn't even send me to Hawaii. Those were clearly jokey, terrible photoshops that may have been done on MS Paint. I kind of want this to happen now. Well, that's a 
a good opportunity maybe for you to cash in that uh, Money in the Bank podcasting briefcase <laughs> I gave you if you want to come back and talk about uh, Kane Rollins in a cell. Yeah, you know, provided uh, none of your uh, none of your usuals uh, go to Hell in a Cell, sure. <laughs> Ooh, where is it? Tapping? I have no idea. <laughs> they send in that proof of purchase. Should be St. Louis, right, to get full symmetry from his debut. That's right. Um, I'm looking it up for reals. Okay. Uh, did you mean Hell in a Cell the match? No. <laughs> oh, it's in Los Angeles, California, the Staples Center. <laughs> Is that the make good for SummerSlam leaving them? That's right. Yep. Some real celebs. <laughs> Might be harder to get them to go to a uh, an autumn show they've never heard of before. Could be. I bet David Spade will be there or somebody like that. Yes, Anna Kendrick probably not. Yeah. Oh, what the best opportunity to finally unite both Kendricks now <laughs> that Brian is back in the public eye. Do you think they're one. related? Mm, yes, I do. They're both so pretty. Yeah, they probably are. Yeah. I mean, why not? I don't feel like doing any research to disprove it. So, uh, in the canon of my show, I'm going to proceed from now on that they are brother and sister. Even great. that's great. <laughs> Well, that's awesome. So, yes, Ambrose, out of nowhere. Remember, it was going to be a dumb triple threat match for idiots between Roman Reigns, Randy Orton, and Seth Rollins. It was Mm -hmm. like, ugh, and ugh, versus, eh. And then instead, the lunatic fringe got loose and (laughs) making that whole, like, seven, six, five... Uh, somewhere in between their period where they were not pushing him as a main eventer mm-hmm. seems stupider than it was when it was happening because oh, yeah. he injected like it's not like the TV has been good but uh, he just the I think the idea like you said that he could be in the periphery of these important things breathe some life back into the show it's the, uh, it's the Forrest Gump of this period of WWE <laughs> You want to go back and just insert him in historical footage of those other things? Yeah. I think, like, think like, like, like Flair was there or whatever that Tumblr is right now. Or You should make a picture better than the WWE Photoshop of <laughs> Rock holding Roman Reigns' arms up and then Ambrose on the other side. He was there too. I don't think there's anything on this show that I went to that was as good as the uh, the fake Shield reunion spot and the, uh, the Flair show. What a joy. Seth Rollins was so happy about he it. He was. He is a guy who, since he's uh, been in the authority, often is mistaken about some of his assumptions and then gets mad about it. But of all of them, that was the best one because he was just... It was maybe a waste to um, put the three of them in a match before an historic triple threat main event for everything. Mm-hmm. But... Had they done that, there would have been no one else to power bomb. So that's true. That yeah, yeah, that was a really good spot. And they put their hands in, and Rollins was <laughs> celebrating. Because <laughs> cartoon and play acting and all that is what this is built on. Of course, what the cultural critic Roland Barth wrote about in his essay on professional wrestling in his book Mythologies, which is a real thing, I promise, um, and not a bit. Uh, is, uh, you know, pantomime and exaggerated stuff. But if you're Rollins and you're method acting, what did he think was going to happen after <laughs> they were celebrating and all friends? Like, if he goes with the assumption that 
we bury the hatchet and we can have fun power bombing people again like the good old days. I don't know what he expected to happen next in that match. I read that essay. Oh, bot? Yeah. Because I, I, I there was a period in my life where I uh, just anything in the library that pertained to professional wrestling I would check out and uh, I so I got this book of essays and <laughs> we need to do a whole show on that <laughs> again you got that briefcase you put your mm-hmm. initials on the front yeah. of it so it just says the, uh, the tiny word and mm-hmm. um, but so if you want to talk about uh, literary and cultural studies and uh, Bart's exploration of the intertext and <laughs> But I, I remember that it was funny because I believe he watched a French professional wrestling match and kept referring to like the coward and the fool character, uh, who was or the bastard. I think mm-hmm. is what he the translation of whatever the French uh, professional wrestling term for heel was the uh, personification of a true bastard with bastardian qualities. There are all kinds of like like weird books like that. Like like theater in a squared circle was another one I read that just just really like lofty kind of, you know, trying to ascribe all kinds of things to professional wrestling that I really don't think it were ever intended. Uh, But fun reads. Mm, Have you read um, Pro Wrestling Intellectual by Babinsack? (laughs) You know, I I took a pass on that one, uh, I have to say. Some of Babinsack's theories, uh, I guess there's a Barthian influence (laughs) to them, but uh, what Babinsack presupposes... Is a sentence that I don't want to finish. <laughs> um, anyway, so yes, Ambrose and Rollins in this ladder match. Um, hmm. Not only did they not do a cool uh, power bomb spot, but um, they went a really long time, and uh, he really, Seth Rollins, I think personally, <laughs> and this is just my opinion, really targeted the leg of Dean Ambrose. Um. Yeah, I, I guess I would have to agree with that. I didn't he kept hitting it and hitting it. Yeah, and hitting. I didn't have any idea how long it had gone until like I was reading. I think in the uh, on the way back to my house after the show in the in the Uber, I uh, I was reading Dave's recap on the Observer site, and I you know like I had no idea. Like to me, I I must have liked it more than most people because it did not feel long to me. And apparently it was. I watched it mostly just being like, this is good. They're doing good wrestling. But what flattened it for me was the ending where Rollins like battered him and battered him and battered him and like threw him in a pile of garbage and then dumped more garbage on him and then tied an anvil to him. Mm-hmm. So it was like, oh, now he's definitely stuck. His leg is real hurt. Which I thought was just going to be the finish, and they were like heating up Seth Rollins in a big uh, bastard, as Bart would say, way to since Lesnar is coming in the next <laughs> night. Um, but uh, that went on for so long that I started being like, "Hmm, this is not exactly what we would call a hot finish." Um, but then they just decided to do a hot finish in the last second, anyway. Yeah, the. That's a thing where you going all the way back to the first match and seeing people laying down on the ground. Mm-hmm. You could have seen Dean Ambrose free himself from that uh, pile of the landfill that had been in the cement mixer that he drove over and dumped on him. And then he was just like, here I come. We. Yeah, it, it is. Again, it is weird to see stuff like that, like unfold when you can just choose 
to fixate on a point in the arena and not where the camera makes you look when you're watching at home. So, yeah. He really does do the thing that people criticize him for, though, where he'll, like, sell and sell and sell and sell and then just, like, okay, I'm all right now. (laughs) It's cool. It hurt for a long time, and now it doesn't hurt. He just, I believe what he does is gets pissed and crazy, and then he ignores that that's happened. Yeah. (laughs) Starts punching. You know what gives him power, I bet, is uh, bouncing off ropes or whatever. What's the verb for that? Pendulum boinging upside down? (laughs) I like to call it building up a head of steam. Oh, okay. (laughs) That's uh, more poetic than than boinging (laughs) around. But he... I think the more of those he does, the more it builds up his like ability to block out long-term structural damage to his knee ligaments. All right, so he's like Fire Marshal Bill, or yes, he like just that. has to charge up with more boings, and then he can <laughs> it recharges his energy meter. Oh, okay, all right. Thank you for putting in video game terms. I can understand. I can understand it now. I was also thinking of how the X Men Havoc has to charge up from zaps from the sun, and gets power to shoot. Yellow rings. Yep. So does that help? Yes. Hey, here's a question I'd like to pose to all of my guests now going forward. <laughs> By chance, have you read the comic book of Joss Whedon's Astonishing X-Men, where the X-Men Colossus has sex with the X-Men Kitty Pride so hard that she turns uh, intangible and falls through the bed? Yeah, yeah, I did. I read the whole run of his Astonishing X in fact. So, what did you think when the ex when Colossus had sex with her to such a degree <laughs> that she had such an overwhelming orgasm that it her, triggered her mutant power to turn intangible and she fell through the bed and the floor to the floor? <laughs> well, to be quite honest, I thought, oh, yeah, Joss Whedon wrote this. It, it <laughs> reminded me of, uh, I don't know if you're a, uh, a, a, a Buffy watcher or not, but uh, it reminded me of an episode where uh, Willow performed, uh, shall we say, Cunnilingus Let's. on uh, Tara, and she levitated. The orgasm was so powerful, and she is a witch, so she has that power. <laughs> <laughs> There's some definite thematic overlap there. Yeah. Uh, that theme being that um, if you are a genuine feminist ally you can do all the creepy leering sex stuff you want. It's a a fine shield to hide behind, yeah. She did... She had sex with him, and then she liked it so much and her body had such a reaction to it that she fell through the floor, invisible. (laughs) And now here's another thing, Andy, that builds on the knowledge of the last time I brought this up. with it. Is in her first appearance in... Uh, the late 1970s or something. In, of course, the Dark Phoenix saga, the first time we see a 13-year-old Kitty Pride, who I'll remind the listener is the person we were just talking about who had an orgasm so hard that she fell through her bed and the floor from second story onto the first floor. The first time she appears as a 13-year-old girl, she uh, has a headache and lies down in her childhood bedroom and falls through the floor. So Joss Whedon... Legitimate feminist ally was like, I'm going to go full circle from this uh, 13-year-old pubescent. I was going to say prepubescent, but clearly, in fact, that was probably the onset of her puberty is when her mutant power came in and zapped her uh, through the floor. Uh 
And then he was like, I'm going to take this scene and restage it in uh, not just implied, but overt multi-orgasmic sex. (laughs) And then, Andy, then in the morning, Wolverine, (laughs) has heightened senses, smelled the sex on them and knew that they had sex. So this man, they let direct the Avengers. <laughs> so the same question oh, I asked the last time I brought it up is, do you remember when all that happened? I, I didn't remember the Wolverine thing until you said it. Yeah. <laughs> but the so, rest, yes. <laughs> I don't know. I think what he smelled, if I was probably vaginal discharge and maybe some semen residue, but I don't know for sure. Oh god, I hope this makes it into the episode. See, this is why there needs to be like a uh, a TV MA version of WWE that airs just on like the network, you know? More programming. Submission to Jerry Springer's Too Hot for WWE Hot <laughs> TV. Oh boy. Oh my god. It's literally one o'clock in the morning. It is, yeah. He, they went, but they both tried to grab the belts yep. and then uh, they fell down. It wasn't quite as uh, uh, creative as when um, Shawn Michaels grabbed the belt and it bonked him in the face <laughs> and he lost from that. That was a bad break. This was more like uh, the um, NFL eligible receiver possession. Oh, totally. Yeah, it's a good call. And Seth Rollins got it. He is uh, Bart's ideal bastard. <laughs> okay, so you, you saw the show. Yeah. I when I started talking to you about it, I w- was in a foul mood—not foul, but just kind of blasé. Mm-hmm. But now I'm like, well, there was those two great matches at the end, and it's not like the latter match wasn't good. Yeah, I enjoyed myself. I definitely I didn't have buyer's remorse uh, when it was all over. So that's the question I have only wanted to explore this whole time. So, <sighs> is there anything else you would like to tell me? Ask uh, about regarding wrestling or plug. Uh, I do, me and my aforementioned friend Megan and our friend Jason do a weekly uh, little wrestling podcast so called So We Were Told Wrestling Radio. You can catch that at SoWeWereTold.com. So we were told. Yeah. Andy, I've never heard of this. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> not that big. It's, it's something we do just to do it. We've done uh, 173 episodes, though. I'm not silent for no reason. <laughs> what you're hearing is me put to shame. Rusev Udria! Rusev Machka! Call to me, call to me!
I can tape a <laughs> voicemail recording for Megan too if she wants. Oh my god, please do. Here we go. <laughs> hey, you've reached Megan's phone. Megan, who's named Megan, uh, as you know, having called her, is not here. So just leave a message for Megan. She'll get right back to you. And you know who I am, of course, as well. So, goodbye. She can use that if she just opens her own audacity and cuts that in. And then I think the iPhone has a... You go through iTunes, right? And then you put in a ringtone.